Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today's guest, we're going to be talking about why focus, priorities, and constraint are critical factors in building a multi-million dollar a year business and also ease. Are you fascinated? Well, join me today with my guest, Laura Roeder, and I will circle back after this interview. Hello and welcome. Today's guest is Laura Roeder, and at age 22, she quit her design job and started her own entrepreneurial journey. She built and ran a successful online training business and became known as an A-lister in the social media business world. Eventually, Laura created her current business, Edgar, out of a need she had in her own business, a way to manage social media more effectively. Laura is the founder and CEO of Edgar, and since Edgar's launch in mid-2014, her company Edgar has more than, makes more than $200,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue. She did this by bootstrapping her business, and I would definitely call her one hell of a lady boss. Laura, hello and welcome to my show. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you for having me. So first, let's talk about what is Edgar. We're going to go reverse in your professional career. What is Edgar? Just to give the listeners that information. So Edgar is a social media recycling tool. So what's really different about Edgar versus some of the other tools out there is that you load your library of categorized content into Edgar, and then Edgar handles scheduling it for you. So the other tools, you either have a queue that you have to refill over and over again, or you have to schedule everything manually, and then you know you do it for the next week, and then you just have to do that every week. So what's really different about Edgar is you say, okay, Edgar, here's all of my old blog posts. Just keep cycling through them. Keep sending them out. And then Edgar's like, cool, got it. And so you have great content going out you know, that you've curated that you choose every day on social media without having to go back in. And so with this social media and planning it out ahead of time, what about some of the people who are like, ooh, is that really authentic? So, I mean, we're talking about using social media for marketing, you Mm -hmm. know, not social media to like connect with your friends (laughs) on Facebook. Like that would be weird if you did this (laughs) just for your friends. Um, So, I mean, I think that's where a lot of that confusion comes in, especially because most people use social both ways or maybe started using social in a personal way and then moved for business. Like it's not inauthentic to send out an email newsletter because you're not, you know, sending a personal email to each person one-on-one. That's that's marketing. So if you're really looking to do marketing on social media, then you need a very different strategy than just like chatting on your Twitter account whenever the mood strikes you. Okay. So this conversation is, there's going to be two aspects. One is here's a tool for entrepreneurs out there and how you can market. And then the other is your story and your journey about becoming an entrepreneur mm. and leaving the corporate world. So thanks for that. Um, Cause I know that could be a, an issue for some of my listeners mm-hmm. of like, is this authentic? Is it not? But the other side is, how often, how much do we need to see something over and over before we may want to click on that button? 
Yeah. So it's funny because a lot of people want to ask me, am I allowed to repeat content, you know, just at all? <laughs> um, so yes, you are allowed to repeat content. And, uh, you know, the stats are, are actually very clear that five to 10% of your followers see any given update that you send out, which means, you know, more than 90% of the people that follow you are not seeing your updates. And that's just the nature of social, right? Mm -hmm. If you've ever signed on to Twitter, it's like a parade going by and you hop on and you see the part of the parade that's there when you stand there for five minutes and you miss everything that was before or after. Uh, so if you don't send your tweet during that five-minute window that your audience signed on, you're, you're going to miss each other. Um, and that's why it really doesn't make sense to come up with brand new content, you know, three times a day, every day <laughs> for the rest of your life. Um, and it's much harder to bother people than you think it is. I mean, it's possible. If you're sending out the same update, you know, every 20 minutes all day long, um, people aren't going aren't gonna to love that. But you have to remember that it feels like a lot more to you because you see everything. You have this totally skewed view. So people will be like, oh, like, I don't know if I could send that again. Like, it seems like it just went out, you know, it went out two weeks ago. Well, like, you remember it because it's your social account and you see everything. Um, but you can see from the stats, most people did not see it. It, it reminds me of kind of like TV promos or movie promos. Mm -hmm. How many times do we have to see that before we actually go, hey, I want to watch that? Or, oh, yeah, I need to go watch that or I need to TiVo that. And those commercials don't bother me. But then when you're on the other side as a business owner, you're thinking, oh, I could be bothering other people. But you're right. Nobody's paying that much attention to us. Oh, right, right. And people, I think, get nervous. Like, So we all see what commercials do, right? They show mm -hmm. the same commercial over and over again. So uh, there's a reason that they do that, of course. It's because it works. But I think that also makes people nervous because like, that does sometimes get annoying. And they think, I don't want to do that. Um, but with social, like I'm saying, I mean, most people are never even going to see the repeated content, honestly. So if they do see it, right, they won't get angry. This is the thing. People are like, what if someone sees that I repeated a tweet? They are not going to be infuriated <laughs> and boycott your business. Like, it just doesn't matter to them. I mean, the internet is full of repeated content. I mean, that's whole, like the whole idea of something being trending. That's literally what it means is that it was repeated over and over again. That, that's how the internet works. Oh, that's an excellent distinction of how something is something's trending is because it's being repeated over and over. That all of a sudden can, creates like a mind shift, at least for me, when I think about that, mm -hmm. because I don't look at that as irritating. I'm like, oh, this is what's trending right now. And okay, makes sense. Right. I should look at it. I mean, that's how people figure out what, you know, should get their attention is what is everyone posting? What is everyone talking about? What's being posted over and over again? And so you created this business because you needed it? Yes. So we, uh, so the business I had before this was a social media training company. And we had this really cumbersome process of loading all of our updates into a spreadsheet and cycling through that spreadsheet and copying and pasting everything into a social tool. And we were teaching other people this method as well. Uh, so I was like, why is there so much busy work? Why is there so much grunt work? And why does the tool not store my updates? That seems so weird to me that I had to have a spreadsheet with all my updates because the tool didn't let me, you know, edit them, recycle them, um, you know, categorize them, do any of the things that I wanted to do with my library of social media. So that's, that's how Edgar was born. And did you think that you were going to become a software company when I mean, you had the successful other business that you've built? You know, it's something that I had been interested in because I was very um, interested in the business model. Uh, you know, it is reoccurring revenue, which mm -hmm. 
um, is great. It's no lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great business model. Um, and in my training business, I was the, I was the trainer. So I was the face of the business. You know, I would come up with all the content. It wasn't a business that I could step away from it in a, in a major way where what's interesting about a software business is I'm not a software developer. So if the product breaks, I can't fix it. <laughs> you know, like I don't know how. Um, so it definitely forces me to have a whole separate layer of uh, separation from the business. Um, and, and I like that. And so how were you able to grow this company so quickly? So, I mean, part of it is we had a very different experience from launch than most people do because I had the training business, mm-hmm. you know, with a list of 75,000 people. So I just want to point that out because I hate for people to compare, <laughs> you know, and be like, oh, I didn't get that much that quickly. Like we weren't launching from zero. Um, also, my experience as a business, like I'd been running business for 10 years. I'd been in the social media space for five years. Like I was very attuned to what people were looking for, for small business, social media marketing. Um, and also it was this, it's, it, it is and was this really great experiment for me to kind of put all of my knowledge and best practices for running a business and marketing into this new project. So I think that's what's kind of fun about starting over with something new is you get to be much more deliberate. It's kind of a clean slate of like, okay, everything I've learned about online marketing, what would I do if I was starting over? That's what I did with Edgar. Now, did, was this a side project? Or was this, a, I'm starting over, I'm shutting down this business and I'm starting over? It was a side project. So um, we were still running the training company and we thought, well, if Edgar takes off, like maybe we won't do the training company anymore. Um, and Edgar did take off. <laughs> so, I mean, but still, there's still like a lot of cleanup we need to do. You know, the website for the training company still exists because it still gets traffic. And it's definitely confusing if you go there and you don't know how it's related to Edgar. So there's there's a lot of cleanup we need to do there. But we are phasing out the training side of the business. But that's a great example, Laura, of it doesn't all have to be perfect in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right? So- Yeah. And I I mean, you have to focus on like what actually matters. I mean, I think this is one of the biggest skills to to cultivate as an entrepreneur. What is the most irritating to you (laughs) is not the same as the biggest problem in the business. Um, There are lots of ugly pages on our website or things that are outdated that I find extremely irritating. You know, it bugs me that that's live and that people find that. But you know what? It does not matter to the bottom line of the business. What matters to the bottom line of the business is things like recruiting great talent, which doesn't feel like such a pressing need and isn't like visible in front of me, annoying me every day, uh, but it's actually much more important. So how do you figure out what to focus on? I mean, that's a million dollar question. Yes, no, that's (laughs) that's the hard one. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, I think the best you can do is, Um, try to make your best guess of what's going to have the biggest impact, you know, Uh, and and it is a guess. And I think that's important to point out because it's so easy as an entrepreneur to have this fantasy that if you just keep thinking long enough, you'll figure it out. You know, like, do I put my effort into blogging or podcasting? There is no right answer. 
you know, but people will spend a month's researching trying to figure out which is the right answer, which is the golden ticket. It, it doesn't so much matter which way to go. It matters that you pick one. So you make an educated guess being like, well, I think for these reasons, you know, a blog might bring in more traffic than a podcast would. So I've decided to put my energy there and focus on that first. And then you have to see it through is the other thing. You know, if you're going to go for blogging, go for blogging, do it regularly, do it the best that you can, track things so that you can see that it's actually bringing in leads. And I think that also helps you have more more confidence in how you're prioritizing because a lot of people never really go back and, and really evaluate uh, what has worked for, for getting customers. So it sounds like create a system, take a look at it, get out of the drama of your head of am I yes. good enough, right? <laughs> and just, and then keep looking at what are the facts, what are the facts? And what you're talking about, my listeners are really familiar with Carol Dweck, who's a Stanford professor and she looks at success. And this, you sound like you're a person that has a growth mindset where you can look at this information, whether it was, you know, an epic failure or not and mm-hmm. say, okay, where, why did this occur? What can we change? Maybe we get rid of this and go in a different direction or what are the some tweaks that we can have? And it sounds like that's your process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Making sure that we're, we're, you know, slowing down a little bit um, and evaluating what's going on. And, you know, another thing about priorities is it's so easy to get carried away on this really exciting new idea and, your top priorities should really be to continue to build what you have and continue to do what's working. Um, And I think that's surprisingly difficult to do because we get bored and we want to change things around and we read about like this hot new strategy and we want to put it in place with our business, but we never finished implementing the last hot new strategy. So a year later, you've done five of them part way and, and you really have no idea which one has worked. So that's getting rid of the shiny object syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which like it's... It's hard. Like I, I love reading about it. Like I read so many blog posts about entrepreneurship, but, and you know, this is sort of interesting. I've never thought about this before, but I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's like, you know, don't just read, take action. Like make sure you're not just sitting around reading. Sometimes it's good to just sit around reading Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I enjoy, it's pleasurable to me to read about entrepreneurship and read what other companies are doing. Um, And it definitely adds information that can spark new ideas and cross connections, but it's okay to read that stuff just for fun and not implement anything because like you're busy implementing your own stuff. (laughs) That's great. I have a question for you. When you talk about, you know, when you're talking about focus, do you have a constraint on how much time as you're trying to figure out what next you, you said, make your best guess? Mm-hmm. Do you put a constraint about how much time you're going to allow yourself to guess or to, to look into it, to give yourself time to research going into a certain area? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think of it really more in hours, but just more what's enough to get the job done um, and then you can keep improving it. Like I think it's Dan Sullivan that says stop when you're at 80%. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. when you think the job is 80% done, then it's done. (laughs) Um, But you're going to think it's 20% not done. And I think that's, that's a good way to think about things. Like, you know, have I gathered enough information to just like write a blog post, start there. Then the next blog post, you can like gather enough information to add a graphic to it. And then the next one, you can add on your social sharing buttons or whatever it is. It's just so important to be iterating and putting things out there live so you can get real feedback and and see what's really working. How are you able to do that instead of like going into, I have to do it perfectly? You know, I'm actually not a perfectionist, um, which I think, I don't know. I don't know if people 
assume otherwise, but I mean, that's not really part of my personality. And I think what's more part of my personality is just like, I'm excited to make things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that has probably, probably served me well. Okay, fair enough. And um, I love how you said, reminded the listeners, there's no right answers, because I think that's important. And a lot of entrepreneurs can get stuck with, I have to have the right answer. Mm-hmm. Instead, it sounds like you're really willing to say, okay, I'm going to experiment this and take a look at it. And see what works for me, you know, because if there was, this is what you have to remember, like if there was a template, people would follow it. You know what I mean? Like if there was a, just every business needs to do these things in these order, business would be a lot easier. Um, But the truth is there is a lot of nuance and complexity. And of course there's best practices and there's things that work and there's a lot we can learn. And you know, you don't need to reinvent some crazy new system for everything that you do, but there is a lot of judgment involved and also a lot of, well, how do I want to do things? You know, you don't have to optimize your business just for making the most money possible, right? You can also optimize your business so that you enjoy it, whether that means working on your own or hiring a big team or doing whatever you want to do. Well, and isn't that one of the reasons why you chose not to get venture capitalist funding? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, a big reason that I work for myself is is freedom and I like to travel a lot and I like to take a lot of time off. And the idea of someone else having any influence of me being like, I think I'm not going to work this summer. And you know what? It's possible <laughs> that I'll have like a little bit of negative implications, but the company is going to be fine. Um, I want the freedom to do that. And so was that an easy decision for you? It actually, you know, it actually was. Um, I mean, I was, I was very lucky to be in a position where I had, I had profits from my other business to help fund Edgar. I mean, not, you know, millions, Mm -hmm. um, but some, so that certainly made it, made it easier. Um, and, and also financially, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize when you raise money, the the profits are no longer yours. They they belong to other people as well. So you have to involve other people in those decisions. Like when you own the business, you can just take out however much profit you want. So if the business is doing well and you want to remodel your house, you know, that's the benefit to you as an owner. If you've raised money, you are one of many uh, shareholders and you can't just decide to give yourself an extra 50 grand. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So do you think with all of the things that you had done leading up to this point, right, is what was able to give you this confidence, this clarity of, okay, I want to be the boss of me. I, you know, I want the profits. I also want, if I want to take time off, this is what I want to do. And you had the confidence in your ability to make money. Um, well, I mean, one, it's not so much the ability to make money because, again, I think another misunderstanding about fundraising is it's not like you get the money, mm-hmm. you know? Like it sounds real impressive when you're like, wow, that person raised $5 million. But the company raised $5 million. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a lot of founders don't pay themselves anything um, or pay themselves very modestly because that's what you're expected to do when you're starting out because the company should have the money, not you. So it, it, it wasn't a question of really being worried that I couldn't make the money. And as far as like the confidence to do it, I mean, it's just about remembering why I do this. I mean, I, I'm someone who is, could not, would not have a job. Like (laughs) (laughs) you're unemployable. Yeah, totally. Like some people like kind of go back and forth. Like, you know, they're cool. Like I, I am not, I am not cool (laughs) having a job. It's been too long. I'm not into it. And any version of having a job, like, 
um, which you often are when you raise money, like, and you can be removed from the company. I mean, it's it's just a totally different ballgame, and just none of that appealed to me at all. So let's talk about calendaring your time because I'm really kind of fascinated. And this came, first came, this idea first came about when we were talking about focus, and I asked you about. Um, do you put like a time limit on it? And you said mm-hmm. about getting 80% done. Mm-hmm. So when you first decided to do Edgar, mm-hmm. did you say, okay, we're, I'm going to experiment with this, pro- this project for a year? What was, what was kind of the front end of it? No. Um, it took six months to build. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no, I mean, the way I think of it more is I, I do, I have learned from experience that some things have, good momentum and some don't. Um, and I actually am like a little worried about kind of uh, saying this publicly because I'm afraid it, it could be taken the wrong way and could make people kind of give up too early. But I found with projects, some it, it's, it's more of a feeling. Like some projects, you start them and you put them out there and it's just like, it feels like you are tr- just trudging through the mud. Like everything's a struggle. No one's interested. Every sale is like this battle you get sick of it right away it just, like it doesn't feel good um and then some projects everything comes together like you know the person that you needed to hire showed up and customers are excited and those two things are not necessarily about the numbers that it brings in like there can be projects that feel really good and maybe they only bring in one client and you're expecting more but like you love working with that one client and it kind of makes you excited to further this and see where this is going to go so I really judge things more by by that um and that has to do with you know the bigger business of like launching Edgar and also things happening within the business like hiring someone you know how is this feeling or starting a new activity in the business that I know that's like extremely vague, but that's that's honestly how I think of things. So what's the feeling state you like to have? Ease. And have you always used that as your guide? It sounds like you're t- you're connected to your intuition. Yeah, yeah, I would say it it is intuitive. And um I think there are a lot of people who believe that you can't have ease with business. Mm-hmm. And I do my business very differently than a lot of people do. You know, my whole company we don't work on on evenings or weekends. There's no emails being sent during those times. We don't have crunch periods where people are, you know, working late all week. Like we just don't we just don't do it. Um and I always say to my team, we're not saving lives. We're a social media company. <laughs> because it's it's a good reminder, right? That that what we do like People getting so incredibly stressed out about businesses that are not saving lives is is just kind of silly to me. Um, I want to enjoy what I do and and I want to have fun. Now, have you always been this way, Laura? Um, yes. Like I've always been chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the part that has changed is I've become more confident that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and more confident that that's a way to run a business. I mean, I remember like when I first started out, I would read all these articles, which you still see. And they would say things like entrepreneur, like you hear the term entrepreneurial ADD, or they'd say like all entrepreneurs have ADD. Or sometimes you hear now like all entrepreneurs are bipolar and the journey has all these extreme up and downs. I I just don't identify with that. 
I mean, I'm like, I don't have ADD. I'm great at focusing, <laughs> you know? And and that sounds silly, but it used to genuinely make me feel like, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. Like, I don't have that entrepreneur personality. My personality is different. Um, and now I can see how how ridiculous that is. So it wasn't that you worked really, really hard and got stuck in that entrepreneurial trap and have learned from this. Is This is part of who you've been. Yeah, like I don't have the burnout story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've definitely figured out how to, you know, optimize my business more and make my business, you know, more aligned with with what I want and how do I I want to run it. But yeah, I don't have that story of like then I worked so hard, and then I was totally burnt out and I collapsed and went to the hospital. <laughs> I've I've never done that. That's Jonathan Fields' story. <laughs> right. That's his story. It works for him because it is true for him, not for me. <laughs> but I love that. You know, I love the fact that you don't have that burnout story. Cause again, this is another oper- this is another way that people can become successful right? They don't have to have that burnout story and look at you and this business that you've, this next business that you've created and what you're generating, you know, monthly is very successful and you didn't have to do it from that way. And it's from this feeling of ease. So I love this as a window of possibility for the listeners of a different way of doing things. Well, my friend, um, uh, Rochelle Sheik, she just wrote a book um, called Koya. She has a business called Koya. And in the book, it's like part memoir and it talks about some of that like trauma and abuse she suffered as a kid and, you know, all these like ups and downs with her journey. And we were talking about it and and she was like, Laura, it seems like nothing that bad happens to you. And I was like, yeah, I mean, nothing that bad. Like, you know, I have a normal life. I have ups and downs, but nothing that bad happens to me. And she's like, maybe your journey is to tell people that it doesn't have to be so, <laughs> so traumatic. And I was like, yeah, maybe so. And then here we're talking about on the radio. Okay, great. So I want to go back to this calendaring because I've been very fascinated with it and, and also prior to us getting on the show, we talked a little bit about it, but how do you, you know, calendar your time? And you talked about taking off, you know, large chunks of time for travel. So how do you kind of plan out your year? Yeah. So I'm, I am big on batching. Um, so I don't calendar in the sense that like, I don't sit down and have, um, you know, time blocked out for like different activities. Obviously, something that you have to schedule with another human, like, you know, like doing a podcast, um, you have to schedule that in advance. And so anything like that, I, I batch them all together. So, um, when I, you know, do a little like tour recording podcasts, I batch those all in the same week and like back to back hour after hour. Um, I don't have many meetings in my business. We have uh, a meeting with our leadership team once a week. And then we have the like company-wide Monday meeting, which I sometimes attend and I sometimes don't. Uh, And then I do a weekly marketing meeting, which I will be out of once we hire our new director of marketing. So I try to focus my time um, more around priorities. So like I have a little weekly planner and I I'm not always perfect about doing this, but my my practice is to write down like the the biggest problem to solve in the business. Um, I write that one down on Sunday. It's like a little because I don't put stuff on Sunday. <laughs> it's like a little weekly view, um, and so that's my way of keeping myself focused. Because in a perfect world, every day I'm chipping away at that at that problem. So at this stage of the business, it's almost always hiring. Um, either a new role that we need to hire or there's like some part of a department that's not gelling together and we need to figure out like do we need to move someone around? Does someone need to be let go, which sometimes happens? Um, those those are usually the biggest problems. And then sometimes some sort of strategy thing. Okay. Fair enough. 
And I love how you have that focus time on your priorities. That's a great way to look at it. Now, in terms of you taking time off, how do you, how does that work like with your employees? Yeah. I mean, so that's something that was very baked into the business because I was pregnant when we launched. And so I took three months maternity leave when the company was, I guess, about six months old, um, which, you know, was a very high growth stage for us because we're only a year and a half old now. So uh, in in launching the business, I was very deliberate in it being a business that I did not have to actively be in in order for it to grow, which is part of, like I was saying before, my interest in software, right? That I don't have to have to be there for for the business to move on. And it's the shift between like making things okay if you're gone, which I think is the state a lot of people have with their with their businesses when they start to build a team is like things can survive when I'm gone, but I have 200 emails to come back to, you know, Mm -hmm. like they survived and they sort of paused and waited for me while I was gone. Um, where how I've done it is that people are actually making decisions without me so that things are progressing while I'm gone. So I'm not the final decision maker for, for anything. I mean, I'm there to advise and if people want me to make a decision because they're having trouble, I will, but there's nothing that is, is held up by me. I mean, even hiring, I don't even interview, every person that we hire, um, you know, the department head is in charge of, of hiring for their department. Sometimes I participate if it makes sense, but, but I don't have to. Wow. Like my head is shaking right now. You're, <laughs> you're not a perfectionist and you're not a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> the secrets to my success. <laughs> and it works. And- well, yeah, because if you have to control everything, here's the thing, like you can do it yourself or someone else can do it. Those, those are the two choices for everything that needs to get done in your business. And if you want to do it yourself, it's just you're going to have to do it. And that's going to take up a lot of your time. Have you ever read uh, Dan, any of Dan Pink's books? Yeah, yeah. I Drive is like his <laughs> three principles is a purpose, autonomy, and… Mastery. Mastery. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's something that we absolutely like have, have crafted um, our business around and like how to provide those values in, in people's jobs. Yeah, because he's been on the show many times and we've talked about that. And as you're talking about how you manage your team and and how you lead your company, I'm thinking here, you're like the case study for his research. I'll have to listen to his, um, yeah, his uh, episodes, your podcast. I'm I'm definitely a fan of his. So now as far as um, managing and overseeing, because you have this remote team, Mm -hmm. how do they work? What's the work lifestyle in Edgar? So even though we're remote, meaning, you know, everyone works from their own home, we operate very much like a, like a real business, um, which, which I think is important. So that means that people work generally nine to five, um, obviously with time zones, you know, we have some overlap, but everyone's in North America. So everyone's generally on the same time zone. You know, we have a company wide meeting Mondays, different departments have daily or weekly meetings. We're on video chat a lot. Um, so work from home means, yeah, that you sit, you know, you sit at your desk and you do a normal work day. You have the perks and more flexibility. Like one of our employees picks up her kids at the bus stop at 3.30, you know, so she takes like five minutes to like go get them and bring them home and then they entertain herself themselves. But she couldn't do that if she had to go to an office, right? So there's little perks like that. But but generally, um, we work very much like we're together as much as we can. Okay. So the expectation is nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. And we're flat. Like if you, because of your schedule or your kids or whatever, want to be like 10 to six instead, I mean, that kind of thing is cool. But yeah, we're generally all on at the same time. All right. 
And then as far as you've said a lot of times we, when you talked about starting Edgar, who is we? So it's because I already, it, it grew from the training company. Um, so one, my husband built the software. So that's a huge part of the we. So I had the idea, he's a Ruby on Rails software built, developer and he told me he could build it. And that's really why Edgar started. I mean, it would have never happened without, without him. Um, because I, you know, I just had no idea how to tackle that. And honestly, I just didn't even realize it was possible. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of had this idea in my head, if you could do it, why don't the tools do it already? Um, I've since learned that anything that can be done on a computer, you can build software to do, uh, so he was a big part of it. But then also the the tr the social media training company, LKR Social Media, the team was like probably like six people at that point. Um, and that team has transitioned to become the Edgar team. So things like, um, you know, doing the logo, doing the the brand voice for Edgar, that, that was all the team. Okay. So they transitioned over. How many employees do you have now? Now we have... 16 or 17. Wow. And when do you kind of envision when you'll stop growing that team? Like how big would be too much? It's a, it's a very interesting question that I, that I think about a lot because it doesn't sound appealing to me right now to have like a 500 person company. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe it will, you know, um, uh, maybe my, my ideas on that will change. So, I mean, we're just going to keep growing, you know, the growth is demanded by the, the product. Mm -hmm. um, we hire more customer service people when we have more customers. We hire more marketing people when we have more ideas for how to spread the word, you know. Uh, so we'll just keep growing it naturally. If we find that we're like feeling like the team is too big, then maybe we'll find a good kind of natural cap. I'm, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Husband was able to build this. He's the one that said, hey, look, this is something we can build, right? And again, here's an example of the right people showing up in your life, right? Who yep. would have thought that he would have done that? Did did you think you're going to create a company, or was this going to be something that would maybe be a product that you would have to help yourself, and then maybe the people that you were training? At first? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think I thought it was a product, and I hoped it could be a company because I I did not expect it to grow so quickly. And yeah, I think I definitely pictured. Like, yeah, we'll have the software and we'll have the training and they'll complement each other. But I think I secretly hoped that it could be just software because I thought that sounded like a much more appealing business model, especially, like I said, being pregnant and going on maternity leave. I didn't really know how I would do the training business. I mean, it was like pretty scaled out. You know, obviously we had recorded stuff and we could just, you know, not do anything new or live with me those those three months I was on maternity leave. Um, but that that's not really ideal. So I hoped that software could be my only business. At the time, I couldn't imagine that it could like make that much money to be able um, to support itself, but it did. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that part. Now, were you tired of doing the training? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've always had a very love hate thing with uh, like being the face of the business. Um, so, you know, I like doing things like this interview. I like public speaking. I'm, I'm obviously someone who enjoys, you know, putting myself out there and, and being in, you know, the public to some degree in that way. Um, but I didn't like, uh, things, I, I didn't really like sharing my personal life, which you can choose how much of your personal life to share, but it's, 
you know, people like to hear it. So things like when I got married, I included a picture from my wedding and like people loved that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and which was very kind. Like people were very genuinely excited for me. People have been following my journey for a few years and this you know, feels like something they, they want to share um, in, in my joy, which is a wonderful thing. But it also like made me kind of uncomfortable to have that picture out there, especially like because I was really just like marketing my business, you know, Mm -hmm. like here's my wedding photo to market my business and make you like me more. There's just, I just have a a conflict there um, that I always felt weird about. And I like being free of that. So can you say more about that? I'm fascinated. Yeah. Like ask me a question. (laughs) Well, just that, you know, because there's, especially in this new world, right? It's so much about showing who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've, you know, followed you forever. And so I remember that wedding picture that you're talking about and then meet Edgar isn't the face of you, right? Right. It's that little, whatever it is, that little icon yeah, and the little thing with the glasses. So, you know, and in this day and age where so many people are putting themselves out there, I'm just fascinating that here's somebody that not interested. Yeah, and I mean, I am sort of interested. That's that's why it's hard for me, you know. Um, but I I I think really for me, it's just like a freedom thing. I love that I don't have to do it, so I can go out there and be a public speaker, or uh, you know, write. Uh, I blogged on Medium recently, or you know, appear on a radio show or whatever it is, and do all those things to help promote the business and be kind of a face of a business. But the business doesn't rely on that, and I think that's probably just a part of my personality where I always get squirmy. Is I hate having. I hate having those obligations. I know that sounds weird as someone who owns a business, but um, like I did, I never liked doing consulting and I did very little consulting because I, I hated even just having the obligation of clients. Um, I love having it. Like, obviously we have customers, but I, my job is just to run my own team, which I love because I got to choose them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I got to choose like the culture of my company. So I love everyone who I work with. You don't have that luxury with all your customers. Right. Let's be honest. Um, and I think that's part of it too, with putting myself out there. I like doing it sometimes, but I don't like feeling like, oh, I have to write a newsletter every week and share about myself. I have to like update my Instagram and share about myself or people will leave and I'll lose this momentum. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And with running a remote company, do you have people that, that work for your company that live locally or like near you or? Are... Uh-uh. No, we don't. We don't have any kind of office. Um, my husband lives in my house, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's very close. Um, and we have one employee who just happens to live like half an hour away from us. But we never. Uh, he come. He came to my son's birthday party, but like we don't. You know, we don't really work with him. Uh, so no, we don't have any kind of central hub. We we do get together in person twice a year. Do you like those? Yeah, it's super fun. It's super fun. And also like because everyone works from home and so we all have that like nerdy introvert I was going to say side, but usually like more than a side. <laughs> it's usually like pretty predominant thing in the personality of the people we work with cuz you know, they love working from home. Everyone's really excited to meet, but they're also really nervous about <laughs> having to spend a week with everyone together. So we make sure to do plenty of stuff together and also to have plenty of time that's like you can just sit in your room by yourself right now. <laughs> so what is a day in your life like? 
Um, so, well, it's actually always changing. So I have a one-year-old, so, um, we're kind of always experimenting with our setup. So right now I work, um, part-time I am with my son in the morning or my husband and I trade off kind of who's in charge of him, uh, in the mornings. And then we all have lunch together. And then our nanny comes from one to six, uh, and we work in the afternoon and she watches him. So that's what I usually do. And is your husband an employee of Edgar as, as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's not working someplace else. This is this is the two of you running this then. Yeah, yeah, and like we don't call him a co-founder because he's actually not so interested in running the business. Um, that's the part that's fun for me. He's interested. He's CTO, so he's interested in you know the development side and the tech side. Um, yeah. And so, how is it doing this business with your husband? You know, we're actually like, we've had very little conflict there. And I think something that's helped a lot is that we have such different skills because I don't know anything about development and he doesn't know anything about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we've, we've learned from each other, of course, but that makes it a lot easier because we've always had very defined roles. So we don't have that many opportunities um, to butt heads because we both make decisions in our, in our own domain, you know? And now do you, do you talk things out and maybe not agree about things or but because you are in different areas of the company, it, there's not that crossover? No, we do. I mean, for the stuff we're talking out, the bigger stuff is usually like bigger decisions with um, the product. Um, but I mean, honestly, I, I really do defer to him on that stuff. I just, where I'm more helpful there is that I have a bit of a deeper understanding of our customer just because I've been, you know, in the small business social media marketing world for so long. Obviously now that he's been running Edgar, he's gotten a good understanding too. But so I'll just make sure that I feel like he understands the customer's needs, which, you know, obviously the product team is always taking that into strong consideration. But uh, I mean, he's the one with the software background. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I defer to him and, and our development team to, to make those decisions. And then how do you guys both stop work at six o'clock when, when you're working at home? Like, how do you keep that boundary? Well, so part of it is that just like neither, neither of us are workaholics. I mean, kind of like we're talking about, you know, earlier that I don't have the the crazy burnout. Um, and our whole company doesn't work evenings, doesn't work weekends. Like our, our company is very good at, at having those boundaries. You do not see any emails being exchanged, um, after people go home, uh, so, and the other thing that has helped a lot is having, having my son, I discovered very quickly that I cannot try to like work and watch him at the same time, um, which a lot of people do. And I don't know how they do it where they're like on the computer and the kids just sort of like playing with blocks next to them. Um, it made me so stressed out whenever I would try to be like, okay, he seems entertained. I'm going to run over to the computer and try to do something. Cause you know, I'm half there and I can't focus. So that actually has been kind of a great like forced constraint because you know at six we're doing dinner we're hanging out with him it's just you know, it's not it's not laptop time I mean that's not to say that we never talk about business at dinner we talk about business <laughs> all the time at dinner um, so that part of it is a struggle more just making sure that we have other things to talk about <laughs> mm-hmm. now, now what is the the kind of environment like with your son do you guys do you and your husband talk about like what is how do you want to role model the world of work to your son that's a really interesting question I mean honestly it's not something that we've talked about that deliberately because um 
I, I don't know. It's so it, it will be really interesting when he gets older because it's like to me it's that balance between teaching him, you know, work ethic and persistence and also teaching him that you don't have to you know, work 80 mm-hmm. hours a week to, to be successful or make money. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think can be hard for a child to understand. It's like, how do you strike that balance of not making them feel like money is this really scarce resource that's really impossible and they have to like give their whole lives up to obtain and making sure that they do feel like they have to work for money, that they're not spoiled, that they don't expect it, you know, just to come to them for no reason. I think that'll be the balance in raising him in this way that will be very different from a lot of kids, right? He will live a, a hugely privileged life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll have, you know, we'll be traveling and and he'll have so many cool opportunities. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. And then the fact that he doesn't see mom and dad go off to work, right? So it's a different world of work that our kids are seeing than maybe mm-hmm. we saw growing up in, in having that insight. Yeah. And, and he'll always grow up hearing us talk about it, you know, at the dinner table, talk about the company. So yeah, I don't, I mean, it'll be interesting seeing it. I feel like it's always with kids, either they love entrepreneurship or they just like hate it. And, <laughs> you know, they want to like get 10 graduate degrees and then just have the most corporate job of all time. Which is <laughs> probably how it'll go. <laughs> there are those pendulum swings that you You're see right. with families. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, no, I don't want to be anything like my parents. <laughs> so as we wrap up here, um, I do have one final question. So with Edgar, you have certain social media channels on there and then you don't have others. Is there a reason for that? Um, I mean, mostly it's just boring um, limitations. Like Instagram doesn't allow you to actually schedule. They allow you to put something in, but then you still have to go um, on a phone and press a button when you want it to be live. Uh, so that just doesn't, that's sort of the antithesis of the whole idea of Edgar. Um, Pinterest is a totally different format of how you load in social media, like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook are all, you know, text-based update with an image, all very similar types of updates. Pinterest, um, is very different. It's like pulling images natively from websites. It's only images, it's group boards. So, it's funny because it's something I've talked to a lot of customers about because our customers are always like, add Pinterest, add Pinterest. But then I have never met a single customer who uses Pinterest heavily who is happy with any of the combined tools. You really need a Pinterest-only tool. Like, there's great tools for Pinterest. I don't know anyone who's a heavy user who uses the Pinterest features on, like, Buffer, for example. Um, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Um, and then Google Plus uh, is not an open network you have to they only have like three or four partners but they seem to be shutting down so it's not really the highest on our priority list okay so that makes sense and um do you have new products that are going to be coming down the line or is your focus edgar our focus is edgar and and we're very focused um within Edgar on just improving the core experience and the core problems that we solve as opposed to adding a lot of new features um there are a lot of different things people do on social media. People, you know, listen for their company name. People look for influencers. Uh, we don't plan on doing those things because those aren't related to content marketing on social, which is really where Edgar's value lies. So we will we will keep focusing there. You know, Laura, you just listening to you talk, it seems like you just do a really good job of having focus and constraint and focus and constraint and and having boundaries. And is this something that you've always had? Um, I 
I'm trying to think. I mean, it's it's definitely something that I have done deliberately and that I've learned, mm-hmm. um, that I've just observed in others has has worked really well. Like when I look at other businesses and I see the people who have done the same thing for years um, successfully, they're much happier with how their business has ended up than mm-hmm. with people who have made things really, really complicated or have like started over every year with something totally new. And you see a lot of entrepreneurs, some that are even like very well-known entrepreneurs who've built a great personal brand will just have a new project like every six months. And they have a strong personal brand, but they haven't been able to build a lasting business. Uh, And I think a lot of it is that shiny object syndrome and constantly being dissatisfied with what they have and looking for something new and not really um, being uh, focused on on any one area. I think that's great perspective. And finally, the last question. What would your 22-year-old self say if looking at your life today? <laughs> I mean, I've definitely achieved a lot of the things that I that I wanted to, which which is pretty cool, <laughs> you know. Um, a lot of the the goals that I've had along the way, but you know, at the end of the day, my life has not turned out too differently than, than what I expected. I mean, I have a business, I have a kid. Those are things that I wanted and (laughs) I'm happy to say I have both of them. So I think, I think she would be surprised at like how well I've been able to do, honestly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would be, that would be a bit of a surprise. But I mean, ever since I started working for myself, I knew that I loved it. So it's like, yeah, I think I would have expected just to keep continuing down that path. All right. Well, Laura, thank you so much for being a guest today. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. So I'm circling back now. Focus, priorities, and constraint and how that led to Laura Roeder and her company making over $200,000 a month. And remember, she said something really important because we don't want you to compare and despair. She started this company with a list of 75,000 people. So it wasn't that she was starting this company from scratch. She'd already built other businesses and had experience. But I want to go back to whether you're an entrepreneur, you're in the corporate world, you're a mom, whatever your circumstance may be, focus, priorities, and constraint can be beautiful and along with boundaries because they can help us get rid of the busy work that that overachiever things that we get so caught up in and we never feel like we get accomplished because there's always more to do, right? We have this belief that there won't be more to do once we get all of this stuff done. Once we finally get it cleared off, then it's going to be done and we won't have to ever tackle that again. But there's always going to be more stuff. So I love that principle of do 80% of it, get it done. And then focusing on what actually matters, getting clarity about that. And I invite you to think about it from the way of what we talked about having a growth mindset where Laura said, look, go try to make your best guess of what will be the biggest impact. Remembering there is no right or wrong answer. And then you go out there and you do it. And then you track it. Did it give you the results that you were looking for? This can be used in anything, parenting, it can be used in work, it can be used in how you nourish yourself in your own workouts, really circling back and reflecting. That's the language that you hear me talk about so often. So focusing on what actually matters, and you're going to have to guess, and there'll be an experiment at first, 
and you're going to get more insights the more that you do it. Here's something else that I think is really important is focusing on one thing at a time, especially if it's a new thing that you're learning. You still may be a mom, you may still have a job, but maybe you're deciding to learn something or take a course. Focus on that. That way your learning is just in that area. And the other stuff can just happen because you've already created systems for it. It's so easy to be like, oh, I need to study this or, oh, I need to do this or, oh, I need to read this book and, oh, I need to read this book and have six different things going on, but never getting anything accomplished. And then afterwards, you just have evidence of, see, I can't really change. I really can't get things done. I can't be an effective leader. I can't be, you know, a great boss, whatever these stories that get in your way. So focus on what really matters. Understanding what your priorities are. I love how on Sundays, she thinks about, okay, what is the biggest problem that I need to solve in my business? Focus time on her priorities for the week. How do you look at your week? How do you look at your day? And then having constraint. So for her, her constraint is six o'clock. That's time to be back with her son and her husband and they have dinner and that's family time together. The more that we can have focus, priorities, constraint, and then boundaries, that, while it may seem rigid or limiting, and I know I used to think that, it allows us to get things done because it's so easy to go, ooh, here's an email that's come in, or ooh, here's this magazine, or here's this text, or whatever that can distract us instead of focusing our energy on the specific task and how much less time does it take. And then always circling back and reflecting and saying, okay, this is what the, I was intending of this situation what were the results? And here's the thing I really invite from you. Stay out of the judgment about your worthiness or are you smart enough or good enough? Stay out of that drama in your head. Notice that's not a part of Laura's language. And instead, look at the facts of the situation and notice that part. And maybe maybe you aren't smart enough in the sense like Laura doesn't know anything about programming but that's not her area of expertise. So who can she have on her team? Fortunately for her, it's her husband. So is it something that you need to learn or is there something that maybe you need help with in remembering that you're not weak for needing help because this whole idea of this myth of going alone, we're actually much more effective as a team. Understanding that is so important and letting go of this myth of going it alone and letting go of these stories that I'm not smart enough. We can do hard things. We can learn. It's a matter of, do you want to learn? Are you willing to set aside the time to learn? That's how you can develop more smarts. <laughs> That's kind of funny to say it that way. You, you know, it goes back to Dan Quayle, who's been a guest on the show several times, and he has the great book called, you know, Talent is uh, Created, It's Not Born. Or No, the talent code, excuse me. But the premise is that talent is created, it's not born. And it comes from practice. Engage practice, not passive practice but engage where you are really paying attention and practicing and practicing. And the thing about an athlete is that you then have a coach who gives you feedback, right? I'm a middle-aged person now, so it's about me giving myself that feedback or some of the people who are in my life whose opinion does matter and who's earned the right to hear my story and also to give me feedback. I listen to what they have to say and then I check in as well. That part, that's where the growth comes. And when we can get out of our own way and let go of this idea that we shouldn't make mistakes or it should be easy, and that goes to a point that Laura made that she was a little concerned about saying was, 
you know, there were times doing projects it was so hard and then there's sometimes there's just so much ease. And notice, remember, she said it wasn't just about making money or the success of it, but just the, the feeling of ease. So it doesn't mean sometimes that when things are hard to stop, it may mean to take a look at it. Why is it hard? Are you making it hard? One of the reminders that I have to tell myself all the time is, Corinne, keep it simple. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be this complicated because I will, in my tendency, make it so much harder because I put that value on there of if I work harder, it's going to be better instead of what is the priority of this given situation. And I work on constraints a lot. What is the focus? What are the priorities? And what are the constraints of the situation? And how much time do I want to spend? So I really think about that. When I calendar my time, you know, I will calendar, okay, this call will go at this time. Um, This project will take this amount of time. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it may not. But I try to overestimate because I like having more yay me moments. (laughs) So I can go, oh, yay me, I got it done. And then all of a sudden I've got maybe gained 20 minutes or half an hour. That's way better than when I will estimate that something will take 90 minutes and then now I'm at two and a half hours because the stress in my shoulders is quite great. So putting some padding in there instead of underestimating, I work on trying to estimate or overestimate the situation just to be a bit more realistic. And the crazy thing is, is that I'm much more effective and much more productive than when I was trying to cram in this impossible list. So again, this goes back to why focus and priorities and constraint can help you create a life that is more in line with what you want. If you haven't joined our community, go to www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up now. You'll get my weekly newsletter insights from me. And I want to do a shout out to uh, shutupenta.ca. It's S-H-U-T-U-P-N-E-A-T dot C-A from Canada for leaving uh, iTunes review. Thanks so much. I'm getting through the Canadian list now. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. A big thanks to Laura Roeder for sharing her story and her journey and how she built her company. I think that's a great behind the scenes. And remember, there's true value in your life when you have focus, priorities, and constraints and doing this from a growth mindset. Smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.